Just a moment. Just a moment. Welcome to the Future Law Podcast, exploring where the law has been. Hey Siri, take a selfie. And where it's going. Oh. Good afternoon. From the brilliant... My name is Sophia, and I am the latest and greatest robot. ...to the scary... Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? ...and everything in between. Please welcome your very real and very human host, Dan Hunter. So today I'm joined by Deepak Pillai, Director of Forensic Data Analytics at uh, Clayton Newts. Welcome, Deepak. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Um, great to have you here on the Future Law Podcast. Uh, so I guess the starting point is to ask, what's forensic data analytics? <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I might start by just defining kind of what data analytics is. Um, for me, data analytics is essentially the analysis of large volumes of electronic data. Forensic data analytics is kind of focusing on more the risk aspect of it. So it's the application of analytics uh, to try and identify and mitigate any potential risks um, at the clients that are actually work at. Um, traditionally, it's been related to um, investigative analytics. So where we've done work for clients in trying to investigate potential frauds, the use of analytics in uh, quantifying the, the size of the fraud, uh, it's been used in that uh, terminology before. But I kind of see it as well in the proactive sense and trying to help clients identify where potential fraud is actually occurring and help mitigate that. Um, so for me, forensic data analytics is both that reactive and that uh, proactive side. So you come from uh, consulting, right? Um, tell us a little bit about how you got to this particular point, and then we'll talk a little bit about how that works at Clean News. <laughs> yep. So my background, I actually studied um, information technology. Uh, from there, I was given an opportunity uh, as a graduate to work in the forensic space at a uh, big four consultancy firm. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I actually applied for the job initially for a computer forensic type role, which was uh, more the imaging uh, of hardware uh, for investigative purposes. Uh, but I was actually convinced by a boss I was working at the time to join their area in the data analytics section. Um, and from there, what I uh, essentially learned was um, the... Uh, the work involved the analysis of large volumes of data and these days when people are committing fraud it's not a little black book that they've got sitting on the uh, side table there with all the, the fraud that they committed but it's in financial systems people making transactions trying to hide what they've done uh, within an actual electronic system um, so a lot of the work I was starting off with was investigative work trolling through large sets of financial information uh, to see what the perpetrators have actually done um, from there when I started my career analytics was quite small more, it started to, to grow quite significantly. Um, there was a lot of marketing spend at that time for analytics. A lot of organizations wanted to use analytics to try and help target um, selling products to, to consumers. So from the forensic space, I moved a bit into the, um, the consumer marketing analytics space. Um, and did that for quite a while, and a lot of that involved kind of cu customer segmentation, trying to understand who your customers are, what products they're buying, cross-selling products to them. Uh, but I didn't find selling nappies and financial services products as interesting. Um, so made my way back into the forensic space, uh, still in the consulting environment uh, for a few more years after that. Um, after that, I was given the opportunity essentially to come to a law firm and uh, start up a forensic practice uh, at the law firm. Uh, and that's where I am today. Yeah. So tell, so tell us a little bit about that. How does uh, forensic data analysis or analytics fit into a firm like Clayton Newt's? Um, 
firstly, the experience I did with a lot of the forensic type work, we received a lot of our work through instruction from lawyers. When clients generally have identified an issue or a potential fraud, the first person they call is usually their trusted advisor, which is their lawyers there in a oh shit moment, what do I do? The lawyers will probably help us. Uh, generally then the lawyers recommend to try and identify what the issue is, how it came about, quantify it. Um, and that's where we would get involved when I was at a consulting firm. So um, we thought at the time, well, if we're getting a lot of our work from a consulting firm, why not bring that service in-house to a consulting firm and have it as a full service offering? That you mean in, into a law firm? Into a law firm. Yeah. Um, and then have it as a full uh, service offering that the lawyers can provide. If they, do, if they have their clients that have issues, uh, we've then got the technology capability and investigative capability to help that client kind of uh, to uh, quantify and identify what the issue is. So what are the sorts of areas within the firm that you, that you work with most? Um, so a, a lot of the work traditionally has come through what I call kind of the workplace um, legal services area, and that's because of uh, traditionally a lot of employee-type investigative work that lawyers do. Um, we've come in and helped them from a technology perspective uh, with having computer forensics, data analysis, uh, analytics. So it's not just a traditional investigation a lawyer might do where they're in, um, interviewing uh, the suspect and just collecting evidence and documentation, but we can have a look at what they've been doing on their mobile phones, what they've been uh, chat logging uh, through uh, using analytics to help identify potentially when they've been uh, causing certain issues. So that's probably where we've done a lot of uh, our work. What we've now found as well with a lot of the, the legal work uh, that's being done, the clients are asking for more of a data-driven approach to the strategy that they're they're taking for or wanting from their legal advice. Um, and a good example is uh, a recent uh, Royal Commission that we've done uh, into the financial services for a client. A lot of the requests that they were getting from the commission related to uh, data, so the number of certain incidents occurring, uh, patterns and trends. Um, so the client essentially collated that information, but from the legal perspective, they wanted to understand these patterns and these trends to help them then strategize uh, how the commission then were potentially going to be asking the client the questions and therefore come with an appropriate strategy for their witnesses Got it. on there. So as you can see, it's that changing um, from just traditional looking at documentation, providing advice, and now a very data-driven approach on how they provide that advice. So, so the areas that I mean, you've identified is like labor law, um, some stuff around securities regulation, financial services regulation, any any other areas of, of practice that you, that you work with a lot? Um, We've kind of dabbled in a lot of different areas as well. So one of the areas we're currently trying to, to work with the lawyers is around um, safety as well. So uh, OHS and, and safety, where traditionally there's been some legal advice um, on how to, to cater for that. But what we're looking to bring to that as well is some analytics to try and identify the likelihood of certain uh, issues that might be occurring with an organization. And that's based on past historical incidents that have actually occurred and then trying to correlate that with potential uh, data that they have. So how long an employee has been working, the activities that they're actually doing, um, what they've been, uh, the amount of sleep that they've had, what they've been doing the night before to see if there's any risk associated with certain types of incidents uh, that then the law Lawyers can work with the client to try and help mitigate or put in certain types of uh, controls to, to minimize that occurring. It, it, sounds, it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you've been doing is based on, upon the data sets that the clients have. Do you get involved in the design of 
uh, data going forward, you know, that, that they actually should be thinking about collecting these kind of data and, and those kind of data uh, in order to assist the, the legal process or, you know, to, to, to be able to give better legal advice? We've generally found it that recommendation will provide when there has been an issue. So reactively we've come in, a client's faced some kind of fraud uh, or some issue they generally will then ask us going forward, how can we try and um, identify this earlier on or help right. mitigate it? And as part of that process, we generally recommend that you collect um, this sort of information right. uh, within your systems to, to be able to, to help identify it early on. Cool. The, um, uh, we were talking about it earlier and, and you were talking about some of the um, benefits of, of having a, a data analytics team inside the law firm. The, the obvious one is is it's everything's covered by privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- what are the other sorts of benefits of, of having an analytics team like yours within within a law firm? Um, so one of the <clears throat> areas I get very heavily involved in as well is legal tech and legal innovation. Uh, because our team encompasses a lot of technologists um, that <clears throat> excuse me that understand the law as well. We've been involved uh, with the legal teams in trying to identify what are some of the technical approaches that we might um, take with some of the problems that they actually have. Um, so we've been involved where we've had lawyers that have been looking at financial models uh, or they've even been doing certain repetitive type tasks um, that we've helped them with a process automation uh, point of view. So we can, we've created scripts, we've created or provided them certain tools that allow them to automate certain work that they do. So the advantage that us coming into the team, it's not just providing client-facing services, we're also looking at a way of how the lawyers can improve the way that they do their day-to-day activities. Uh, One good example is the pricing uh, side of it. So traditionally lawyers, when they price uh, for their work, they generally base it on their experience on on previous matters. They will probably look at their last matter that is of, of a similar size. We've been able to come in and look across say all class actions that we've been involved in and actually run some analysis on the type of work involved on the levels required on the time required between each stage um, and then provide essentially a detailed view to our clients and saying this is essentially how much is potentially going to cost it's based on all the class actions that we've actually done um, and, and therefore you're getting a much more accurate view of potentially what the uh, the cost is uh, for it. So from an internal perspective, we're also helping uh, Clayton Newts change the way that uh, they're doing a lot of their work. Yeah, that's nifty. Um, so uh, how long has the, the team been in existence here at Clayton Newts and, and um, are you growing? <laughs> we, we are growing very quickly. Um, officially, we started off uh, in July 2017. Um, we did have a few people start prior to that, but it was more set up um, uh, and kind of getting everything up and running, but officially launched at the start of the financial year 2018. Um, we have grown substantially. Uh, to give you a bit of a, a sense, when I joined the team in Melbourne, uh, it was myself and one other individual. Uh, within a year, we grew to a team of 37 people. Um, and even nationally, I believe we started around with a team of uh, 40 and grew to about 180 within that one year period. Um, and it just shows the, the demand for, for technology and uh, especially in the legal services, um, the lawyers understand the value of technology and they want to try and utilize it as much as possible in de- delivering their services. Do you get any um, bleed over between the kind of like the law side and, and you also say that law- lawyers come across and start working for you and, and vice versa or is it the team sort of a, uh, pretty much you know, confined within its own cell membrane? Um, we we want to work very closely with with the lawyers. Um, a lot of our team actually are 
lawyers that have um, decided to move into the technology space. Um, and especially at a junior level, we encourage uh, our grads and junior staff to actually work within our team for a while so they can understand some of the technologies that can actually be used on it. So we are trying to cross-pollinate uh, between our legal teams um, and uh, our uh, technology team as well. Um, we have found that on large matters where we've worked very closely with the legal teams, they tend to then come back to us on other matters because they understand. All of a sudden they've got a, a bright idea and they know that there's someone who can help them. That, that, that's correct. So for, from our perspective, yes, we're, we're getting quite a few lawyers now that are, they're not embedded within our team, but mm-hmm. they're utilizing us as uh, part of the solutions that they're providing their client. Does it, does it look like the, the end point for, for your, your team uh, will be that it will be sort of generally legal tech or will it be confined to to the data analytics side, do you think? Uh, it will be generally legal tech and we're not trying to confine ourselves. Our, our team is initially very focused on the forensic type work, but we've just found that legal technology is where a lot of our lawyers um, are wanting our support. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we will be working both in kind of the forensic space and, and the legal technology space and trying to bring that innovation and technology to the, the services that we're doing. In terms of the, the skill set and experience of the of the people who you're looking to hire, what are what it's, what's the sort of the the demographic and what are what are the sorts of things that you're looking for? Uh, it's an interesting question because um, we're essentially trying to find the perfect mixture of law and technology. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got a law school <laughs> that's trying to do exactly that, but no, but uh, I'm interested. Yeah, what's yeah so ideally, and we actually had some uh, very good talent that came uh, from uh, the graduate program that actually had double degrees in both law and technology. Uh, and that's a skill set that we're actually looking for, people that understand the law, but then can understand technology and then can essentially identify these are the processes that we do as part part of the legal services and this is the technology that could potentially help automate or make those processes a lot more efficient. Are there particular examples of, of uh, tech skills that you're, you're looking for? I mean, whether it's R skills or Python skills or an understanding of, I don't know, e-discard, whatever it is, mm. you know, what, what is it that you're looking for? So for me, there's probably two perspectives. Um, we're finding data analytics being a large part of the services that we're offering. Yeah. So um, where we've got individuals that have got skills in R, Python, uh, kind of programming and analytics in general, uh, and especially visualization. That's right. probably a very uh, important part uh, of the work that we do. Yeah. Start with visualization. Uh, I always tell my students, is like, okay, visualization is the easy bit. You know, yep. that's the way of starting to get the lawyers involved. And then all of the other sort of more complica- complicated analytics work is, is the next thing after that. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's what the clients see at the end. It's sure. what they feel the actual product is. And if you can deliver it in a, uh, in a medium that... Um, they can relate to and they can really understand. Um, it just provides a much greater experience for them. Um, but yeah, so from an analytics perspective, we're getting a lot of um, work from the lawyers that are trying to use analytics in, in helping them make the advice that they want to send. Secondly, we're seeing a lot of work in process automation. So um, lawyers are trying to see how they can speed up some of their repetitive tasks that they're actually doing. Um, and we're finding uh, some of the work that we're doing is more programming and process automation. So being able to script activities from one system into another. Um, so they're probably the two skills that we're seeing a lot from a technology side uh, that the lawyers are looking at. From a software side, we generally find people that are involved in technology can pick up software yeah, and technology matter. really quickly. Yeah. Um, so if you've got any experience in that area, when it comes down to the software, it's not too complicated right. uh, to use. So, so Clayton Newt's uh, the only law firm in Australia that has this particular model with a, with a separate forensic data analytics team. Why, why is that? Why is no one else picked it up, do you think? Um, 
It's a good question. Um, uh, I think it's mainly there has been quite a separation between legal services and consulting services um, in Australia. Legal services have traditionally been law firms, and that's all they've provided their services for. Um, what's probably happened now is a lot of the consulting firms are starting to branch out, where traditionally they just did consulting or their audit services. Now they've got their legal departments. And now they've yeah. got their legal departments, yeah. and they uh, provide every single type of offering there. Yeah. And I think legal firms have now seen that, well, we need somehow to some way to combat this, otherwise the consulting firms are going to be taking all the, the legal services. So pre- previously where I think they were very comfortable um, sitting in that space, now they've had to, to, to see what are some of the other offerings that we can uh, bring to our clients. And uh, at Clayton Newts, uh, kind of that forensic space nicely fits in with the, with the legal work. It's the identification and mitigation of risk, which is very similar to um, the type of work that the lawyers do. Sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I know there's probably only... Uh, two of the big firms that have sort of branched out into any of the the computing side. So Clayton Newts has, has got the the forensic data uh, stuff, and yep. Cause um, have have got a, a cyber security uh, practice that they've integrated with with theirs. So th- there's a little bit of movement around the multidisciplinary practice from the from the law firm side. Obviously, lots from the from the consulting side. But Australia seems to be further behind than than many other countries because this forensic data approach. Uh, is is reasonably common elsewhere, right? Yes. Yeah, so my experience in Europe, especially, um, there are a lot of law firms there that actually have a capability in house, um, whether it be computer forensics, um, data analytics, or some kind of consulting arm to it. Uh, it's much more frequent uh, over there. I, I was catching up with a um, an ex boss I used to work for in Netherlands, and he was mentioning he works for a consulting firm over there that his largest competitors in that forensic space are actually the legal firms. Really. Um, so over there in Europe, and I know in uh, the UK, uh, Clifford Chance has a, a decent-sized forensic practice there. Um, so yeah, in Europe is probably where I've seen it. Um, I, I've also anecdotally heard in South Africa, a lot of the law firms over there as well have forensic practices um, that they've got. So it just seems to be Australia and the US model is very law-centric uh, in, the, in the legal firms. But, it, but it's interesting, you know, you started out with the idea um, that a client has a major problem, you know, a data breach or a, or um, some kind of fraud issue. Um, who do they call? The they don't call the Ghostbusters. They call they call the law firm, their trusted advisor, and then the law firm, you know, goes out and 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 tries to get these other services around forensic data or whatever it might be. You would think that other firms here in Australia and in the states would would actually do more of this uh, forensic data analytics, but but they just don't. I I think they are starting to realize it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do know some other law firms that are trying to build in some investigative capability internally okay. um, through their lawyers. But I think it's more of a comfort thing. I think it's always been that uh, that distinction between law service and consulting services. Right. Uh, and I think it's only over the last couple of years um, that it's starting to, to change, that, that mold is... Um, or, or the market's being shifted up by the consultancy firms. Yeah. Trying to, to when, I, when I talk to the managing partners mm-hmm. of law firms, you know, they're often mentioning the, the big four and, and, of course, the big four tried to get into to legal uh, a few years ago. They then sort of dropped out and now they're back in yep. um, and in a big way. Yep. And, I, and I think that that sort of pressure is starting to, to be recognised by the managing partners of the, of the law firms and they're starting to look around for other ways of, of diversifying. It's interesting that Clayton Newt's picked forensic data. Mm. I, I think for me, 
the forensic data side of it, it just it ties in uh, quite nicely with the legal services. Yeah, a lot of the work that sense. we used to do at a consulting firm came through lawyers. Um, and for me, coming into that legal firm, if I didn't feel comfortable that um, they wouldn't be, if they couldn't utilize the skill set that I have, um, I wouldn't have found it worthwhile coming across. And for me, making that decision was more understanding what the legal services they actually provide and how they can actually change those services based on the, the, the skill set that I can bring along. Is there a, a big difference in terms of the culture uh, coming across from a consulting firm to a law firm? You, you indicated there was, yeah. you know, you were uncertain. The, the biggest cultural shift is at a consulting firm, technology is embraced. People are looking for the latest technology um, and they proactively go looking for it. Um, coming to a, a law firm, I've got to say it's a... It's a slower moving um, industry. Um, traditionally, I think some of the older partners that have been there for a, a long time tend to do the, uh, the, the the services the way that they used to. Um, but we're finding now a lot of the younger partners or the, uh, the junior lawyers that are actually coming through are trying to look for that technology solution that can help uh, deliver a different type of service. But it's a very slow moving beast. <laughs> um, we're at a consulting firm, if we had an innovative idea with technology, we'd get support straight away, um, I'd get pushed up to a lot of the senior leadership in trying to bring that solution out. Here, there's a bit of a, a process that you have to kind of go through, um, and it's more proof of concepting, trialing uh, certain type of solutions uh, to see if they actually work to then... Um, <clears throat> to then bring to to market, is that is that because of the culture? Because um, law is a very conservative kind of place, or or is it just because it's um, the IT infrastructure is not really provisioned? You know, one of the difficulties you face is like, hey, I've got this great idea, and like, well, it's going to take six months to find the right people to do that, rather than having the in-house technologists who can stand up the, the tech in, in an afternoon and say, here you go, have a play with it. Let's see if we can't make this work. Um, I might cover the technology because I've actually found the technology here at Clayton Newts um, more advanced than what I actually had a consulting firm. Hmm. Um, they've actually They've actually moved a lot of the services to the cloud. Um, a lot of their services are available online. Um, they have a BYOD mm-hmm. uh, policy compared to the consulting firms where it was very locked down. Yep. There was a lot of actual red tape involved Involved in getting technology solutions up and running at a consultancy firm versus here it's actually been a lot more efficient um, so from a technology perspective that hasn't actually been a limiting factor is it's mm. been more the conservatism uh, of lawyers yeah. um, that we're trying to, to get over the hurdle for and uh, do you think do you think the, the new group coming through you mentioned the young partners and the, and the young lawyers I mean there's a is there a thirst for this kind of uh, information and, and where do they go to to be able to learn how to do this kind of thing there is a, a massive amount of thirst, especially at the, the younger lawyers and junior partner level. Um, they are wanting to, to differentiate the way that they provide their services and uh, they see technology as that key differentiator. Um, in, in terms of finding additional information, I've actually found it quite hard and, and difficult to, to find that. Um, there are certain legal technology uh, groups, um, and I know with uh, it's IELTA, I think, um, the uh, corporate counsel uh, group, they do now have a technology section on their website as well. Um, there are conferences. So there was a legal technology conference that occurred in Sydney a couple of months ago. Um, those kind of events and activities and blogs are probably where you're going to find a lot of key information at the moment. Um, but it is um, 
quite hard to I think find especially if I'm in Australian centric sense to find all that information sure. it's probably a lot bigger in the US and UK legal technology um, and they tend to have a lot of larger expos and um, events uh, around that but right. um, yes it's it's an area that I think in Australia potentially we can uh, grow we should get an innovative law school to actually start pri- uh, providing courses would, on these I sorts think of things that would be very good let me, let me see if I can find a, a law school <laughs> that can do that, that for you um, uh, one of the things I always uh, uh, like to end with is is uh, questions around what is the future of law mm. because this mm. is the future law blog uh, future law podcast uh, so so Deepak Pillai what do you think the future of law looks like um, interestingly I have been doing some recent presentations on artificial intelligence and how that's going to be impacting uh, law um, and interestingly enough what I envision law to be changing in the the next couple of years is the um, it is the artificial intelligence being embedded in some of the services that we do. And when I'm saying artificial intelligence, not it's not going to completely take over all the legal advice that is being provided, but some of the more menial tasks, the repetitive tasks. Uh, a good example is in e-discovery. A lot of the work that we do now in e-discovery, um, we're using things like technology-assisted review and active learning. Uh, and the way that works is... After individuals have reviewed a certain number of documents, uh, the machine learning algorithm is then looking for similar types of documents. And what that's bringing is, is bringing all the relevant information out to the reviewers very quickly. And we're finding large reviews that traditionally would have taken hundreds of paralegals, thousands of hours to do. Uh, we're getting that done in a much shorter amount of time because all the relevant material is getting brought up to the the start. Uh, and once we do um, kind of what we call an illusion test, we can identify with a high uh, rate if all the documents that we found are actually relevant. Uh, so that's reducing the amount of time that we do in review. Um, what that unfortunately does is a lot of the entry pathways that lawyers have found through that paralegal role where they're doing these repetitive type doc reviews, I think they're going to find a, lo- a lot harder to get into the, the legal um, environment through that, that pathway. A lot of those junior jobs, I think, are going to start changing. A lot of the senior advice type roles, I don't think machine learning and technology is quite ready uh, to take over that. But in the, in the next couple of years, I think it'll be artificial intelligence and machine learning removing some of those uh, repetitive jobs or minimizing the amount of people that will be working in it. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this for a, for a little while. You know, when, when people talk about AI, uh, if they don't know what AI is, mm. they, they don't realize that, that mostly it's just about data and mm. data sets. You know, it's the actual algorithms themselves, a couple of hundred lines of code, yep. but the actual, the all of the intelligence really is in is in the data. And so it's not surprising that uh, a guy who comes from from data analytics would, would say, oh no, AI, this is actually gonna you know, change the world in, mm. in this particular way, because it's all about the, the way that, that certain data sets can actually be used. Um, I, I have the same sort of concerns around uh, the pathways for, for graduates. You know, when, I was, when I was teaching in New York, we, we were um, charging students a, a lot of money to, to get a, a JD, and the way in which they would pay this off was to go and work for a white shoe firm uh, at 160000 bucks a year um, to do basically document review, and, yep. and those sorts of jobs are going to go. Um, and so what I think we're, we need is a, a pathway for those grads into um, legal practice where they can become the senior advisors, where they've got um, the, this very high-value knowledge and skill set, um, but in order to get there, there's this huge gap. And, and that valley of death is, is is going to be something that I think we're going to be struggling with over the next few years. So interesting and, to have the same perspective. Yeah, and, and from that, that's where I think that combination of legal and technology, that would be a very good skill set to have going forward because at the end of the day, a lot of these tools will have to be configured, they'll have to be set up sure. by somebody that understands technology and who better to, to set them up with 
with somebody who's got a legal and a technology background. Sure. So I'd say potentially the people with just a legal background uh, might not find it uh, easy to get into law, but somebody who might have a legal and technology background might now be able to get into that entry <laughs> position where um, they are now configuring and helping set up a lot of these processes. Well, well here's hoping. It's uh, what my law school is, is built on. Um, Deepak Pillai, uh, Director of Forensic Data Analytics at Clayton News. Thanks very much for your time. No, thank you, Dan, as well. Thank you for listening to the Future Law Podcast. For links to the articles mentioned and to contact the hosts, visit futurelawpodcast.com. <laughs>